Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by NFL Draft analysts Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap. We're doing yet another post-2021 NFL Draft Breakdown show, talking a little bit about the guys who were over and under drafted. Before we get to that, though, folks, I want to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is the best place to make your bets. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds that you need, and it is the best way to place your bets as well as free to sign up. Head to their website, betonline.ag, and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So before we get into this, I, I, I realize now I should probably, you know, or I, I, I lead in every show saying uh, NFL draft experts. And, and now I can lead in by saying Ryan Roberts is a member of the College Gridiron Showcase uh, scouting department. So a little clap to, to, to Ryan here. Woo! Alex is not going to clap because he doesn't care about Ryan. But congratulations, <laughs> Ryan. I, I, you got to give us like a little bit, little bit of buzz here. Something. With, what, what are your thoughts? What are, what are you, how are we feeling right now? Uh, I mean, it's really fun. I've, I've obviously never been associated with an all-star game, so it's going to be a little different. I'm doing evaluations, giving an opinion for players directly, you know, getting that opportunity on the next level. Uh, I think the Gridiron Showcase this year had 16 players drafted and 60 that signed free agent contracts after the draft. So they were very successful this year, obviously, with the NFLPA Bowl, East-West Shrine game going fully virtual. They were one of the only events outside of the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl, Tropical Bowl that gave players opportunities to show themselves. Um, I think they had a couple guys that went as early as the fourth round. So it's exciting. Um, you know, as soon as I announced, I had some small school guys follow me and uh, send me highlights in the DM. So I guess, uh, you know, it's <laughs> exciting times and, uh, you know, just excited. You know, it's uh, like I said, it's something different that I haven't done before. You know, obviously going directly for filling out a roster for an all-star game. But it should be a lot of fun. It should be a great experience. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what happens with that. I'm sure Alex was one of those people who sent their highlights into to Ryan. I uh, did. Yeah, my my huddle from yeah. I already school. threw it. I already threw it out. I, 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 I put a reject grade on. Good. To yeah, go. I don't blame you. <laughs> Flat-footed athlete. Got it out of the way. Didn't even need to. Can't handle himself when arguing with uh, Josh Dobbs on, on or s talking with Josh Dobbs on. Um, all right, let's. Uh, Speaking of some talking some smack, let's let's get into talking about these biggest reaches. And what we're referring to here is guys who were way overdrafted. We're also going off of your guys' boards, the grades that you guys had. 
Um, and specifically, as I said, players that just went oddly high despite not really being, not necessarily not that talented, but valued as high as they ended up going. And every, we have this in every draft. It seems like there were a lot of strange ones this year. But, Ryan, let, let's head to you first. Who is your first reach? And it looks like you went with first-rounder Jamin Davis. Yep, 19th overall selection by the Washington football team, Jamin Davis, linebacker out of the University of Kentucky. My favorite fit in this entire draft was Jeremiah Wusukoromoa to the Washington football team in the first round. Of course, Jeremiah slid due to a heart issue uh, down the stretch that it seemed like teams did not get the medicals back until very late this year, obviously with everything going and uh, the combine being a full medical, but you know the medical rechecks were a little later this year. So they... Ended up taking a different player stylistically in Jama Davis, more of a bigger body guy that's probably a true Mike at the next level. And so the more I like am sitting back and looking at it, the more I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt because I mean Ron Rivera has done a great job developing linebackers from the Luke Keekleys of the world to the Thomas Davises. Like he has a good track record with developing that position. So a guy that's raw, like Jamin Davis at 6'4", 230, ran in the 4'4", 40-inch vert, like going to cut him a little bit of slack because if there's anybody that can unlock the full potential for Jamin, I guess it would, in theory, be Ron Rivera. But I had a late three on him. I think he has a lot of promise. I would, you know, on day two with that type of athleticism, I'm good with it. But at the 19th overall pick, I don't see a guy that's going to transition early on and be that Mike, quote-unquote, for this defense. I see a guy that's going to struggle because I think his eyes aren't the best. I think his trigger is very slow because he was a one-year producer for Kentucky. He wasn't a guy that was like a multi-year starter that's had a bunch of live reps. I think there's going to be a, a big learning curve early, very steep. And I think he's going to struggle a little bit out of the gate. Can he be the player down the road? I think so because, again, I gave him a day two grade. So I think that there's development there. And then he has the athleticism. And he's in a good landing spot with Ron Rivera. But when we were taking a look at, like, you know, late third round grade to the 19th overall pick, I just I'm still having a hard time getting on board with that one. Yeah, I'm with you from a sense of, you know, I had him closer to the end of day two than the first round for sure. And. Look, I understand. Like you said, it's kind of like a slow burn. Like you're starting to understand. Like I get it with them. I get the athleticism, the size, the uh, I don't want to say just athleticism, the freak athletic, the freakish athleticism that he, he possesses. I mean, he, he really does have something to him. But like you said, the tape just wasn't there for me, and that's where he fell for me as well. Like like where you had him. So, uh, Jamin Davis, like you said, I mean, landing spots huge for him. I think I think he landed in a good spot, and I know we're going to talk about good landing spots here later in the show. So I think you know if you put into the to account the context and the landing spot, I don't hate it as much as I do the value. The value is right. not there, but I do like the landing spot. And I think that's a spot where if he's going to succeed at the next level as a first round pick, that's probably where it's going to be at. And whenever we're in the draft cycle the like bigger name experts there's always like that one guy that just randomly pops up and you're like where the hell did that guy come from that keeps getting mocked into the first round and it just so happens John Man Davis ends up being that player that does end up in the first round so clearly they knew something clearly some of these these up up top experts knew that there was potential for it to happen the fact that he went as early as he did over Jeremiah Usukoromo was pretty surprising because i, I think you take out the the strange reports of that heart condition. I think all of us would agree Jeremiah Usakoromoa probably would have been that pick 
uh, had that that strange occurrence had not happened. Now, Alex, you went with another first round guy, somebody who ends up going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say because I just remember. Like I'd forget about how much you hated this guy during the process, and then just you would just randomly bring him up, and then you would just uh, you're so aggressively against this man, Joe Tryon uh, out of Washington. Why do you why are you so upset that he's a Tampa Bay Buck in the first round? <laughs> there are two players in this draft cycle that I've banged the table. I'm all in against as far as is is <laughs> is where they are as far as the consensus of um, you know upon the NFL as well as as the media. Chas Surratt and Joe Tryon. Those are two guys since the summer I have been out on and I have not wavered one bit. So here we're going to talk about Joe Tryon because he was the first round pick, not Chas Surratt. Joe Tryon, I've said this before, he is built as this athletic, long, hard to put your hands on kind of guy with a lot of athleticism. To me, he's not a good athlete. So... I don't think he's a good athlete on, you know, on tape. I think he's someone that he's long, you know, I, I get it, but he's not nearly as long as Greg Rousseau, who, who went just before him. Doesn't, I, I don't love Greg Rousseau's athleticism, but I still think he's more of an athlete than Joe Tryon on tape. And I just, I just feel like there's so much more to unlock as far as a frame with someone like Greg Russo versus Joe Tryon. Joe Tryon has an average frame outside of his length. He's just, he's, he's got some long arms, but he's an average athlete and he doesn't do anything for me. He doesn't bend the edge. He doesn't have any power to his game at all. And I just don't see the hand, you know, he's, he's got active hands. He's, he's willing to fight with you for, for seven, eight seconds into the play if, if need be. But it doesn't really do anything, and he gets—I just—I don't know—he gets cleanup sacks, and look, obviously, again, not a 2020 season. There's just a lot of things that go into it for Joe Tryon. I just don't think he's really all that good. I had a fifth round grade on him, and he went in the first round. So um, you can, yeah, I don't—I I might be the lowest on Joe Tryon than than just about anybody um, in our space, but. I just really didn't see it with him from I watched I watched seven games just to try to get it. I, I kept trying to figure it out and I couldn't. So Joe Tryon, someone, like I said, I'm just going to be out on. And the fact that Tampa Bay, a team who I think should have invested in players that have a, a translatable skill set to where I believe that they can succeed and produce at a high level in year one. I feel like that's something they failed to do in the first couple of rounds with Joe Tryon, someone who I think. If he's going to find success, it's going to be in year three or four. It's not going to be in years one or two with Tom Brady. And then to draft Kyle Trask, it's just kind of like the Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love thing last year. You have a quarterback that's good enough to win you a Super Bowl. Go all in for these two years because at the end of the day, who cares about five years from now if you don't win a Super Bowl with you know the MVP caliber quarterback that you have in-house? Tampa Bay is a weird one. They quietly had a really bad draft. <laughs> oh, I, that's what I said well, last they, week. They on didn't that. need to draft well. They they literally retained their whole roster. Like, yeah, how but much draft, do they that's need how to you fix? get in trouble, Joe. Here's that's my thing. That's, that's, like, that's like the Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago. That's how here's you get in my, trouble. That's no, true. here's my thing with here's my thing with them. Why draft someone like Joe Tryon, who I like I said, who I believe is year three or four away? Draft someone like Carlos Basham if you want a rotational pass rushing presence, someone that can play on the edge. But someone who I feel like in year one is going to give you more than Joe Tryon. I just maybe it's a philosophical thing, and that's all it is. It's just philosophical differences between me and some some other decision makers, and maybe that's why they're in that seat. But I don't understand why you look ahead to years four and five when you have someone like Tom Brady, someone like Aaron Rodgers at the helm right now, and in a roster that you just add a couple 
complimentary pieces that can help you for the next couple of years and you can get another Lombardi trophy or two. So I just, I don't, I don't get it. You know, it's funny. Like the, the, the clip that goes around for Joe Tryon is like a highlight play. You know what I'm talking about, Alex? You know what the play I'm talking about that comes around? It's, it's the one against Penny Sewell in 2019 where he long arms Penny Sewell and like gets him off his heels a little bit, gets him on his heels. And it's so funny because Penny Sewell recovers on that rep and then eventually anchors down. So Joe Tryon has like a, a burst of power, is able to get him on his heels, but then does not have a sack. I think that just kind of encapsulates who Joe Tryon is right yeah, now. He's, yeah, not, <laughs> not that great of a football player to me. Sorry. I, I was excited for that. I was I was so excited to hear Alex just bash, bash Joe Tryon. I'm kind of shocked that none of you guys picked Peyton Turner, but we're going to move on. We're not even going to talk about Peyton Turner. Ryan, you picked another guy, and this this one's uh, another perfect one for the sense that a prospect that I don't think any of us have really gotten, a, a guy that didn't do well after the season at the Senior Bowl, and we kind of felt that he was exposed a little bit. I don't even know for sure where he's going to play on this offensive line. Is he playing right tackle, which it sounds like he's better off probably bouncing inside, as we said. But Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, that was considered to be, a, by a lot of people, a holy crap pick. Mike Mayock, what the heck are you doing? The, the, the type of pick that we've seen from Mike Mayock where he's just overdrafted based on where the guy was coming from and if he was maybe... I don't know. I I wouldn't necessarily be more ready to play now, but just not as good as some of the other talented players that were on the board. So what do you think about Alex Leatherwood? Why'd you pick him? Well, I knew Leatherwood was going in the first round because he was a guy that started three years at Alabama in the SEC, played multiple positions, senior bowler, blah, 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 blah. We knew, we knew that Alex Leatherwood was going in the first round. He's a weird one for me because obviously he played left tackle over the last two years after playing guard early on in his career. And sometimes you watch a tackle and you have the opinion that he would fit better inside. And there's usually a couple of things that lead to that. One, maybe they're not a great athlete. Or two, maybe they have a length deficiency. Those are usually the two things that most push a guy inside. For me, Alex Leatherwood has enough length. He has enough size. He tested like a damn good athlete. So... Why is he getting pushed inside? Uh, it's because he's not very good at, at offensive tackle. I mean, it's it's not great analysis, but he just is very passive with his feet at the set points. He just is not comfortable in pass protection. We saw at the senior bowl. Like, it was just ugly. And I don't even think 2018 at guard was, like, that great, but, like, it's certainly better than what I saw at tackle, certainly. So I think he's a guard, and I grade him as a third-round prospect, which means I don't hate him. I think he's a starting caliber offensive lineman down the road. But the big context of this situation is the Las Vegas Raiders, who, thank God for the Las Vegas Raiders, because we didn't have the Seattle Seahawks picking somebody, so there wasn't going to be somebody that was completely <laughs> off the wall. But So they draft him at the 17th overall pick with, and I know Alex isn't the biggest Christian Derisaw fan, but if you're taking an offensive tackle, Christian Derisaw is still on the board. And Tevin, Tevin Jenkins. Jenkins is still on the board. Yeah. There is a bunch of guys, man, that are still on the board that I much preferred to Alex Leatherwood. So that's kind of, for me, what made this such a a question mark of a pick for me. It, it, it wasn't the fact of like he went in the first round. I knew he was going to. I expected him to go like 25 to 32, somewhere in there. Maybe the, Can oh, the Kansas City Chiefs ended up trading their first round pick. But like a team like that, that uh, Baltimore Ravens maybe, like a team that needs – 
an offensive tackle moving forward and, and maybe eventually he fails in the guard, but like, you know, he's a starting caliber player no matter where you put him eventually. So that was kind of like my, my weird thing was just seeing the players that were on the board, seeing him at 17. I just, I can't get on board with it. Cause I think that the Raiders obviously drafted him at 17 to play tackle. If you're telling me a team that maybe reached on him a little bit comparative to me, and they drafted him in the second round to play guard, then I, I would be okay. It's a little higher than even I would still value him, but I would understand the 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 um the scope of what they're doing, the the direction, the journey that they're trying to take with him. But for me, 17th overall pick to play right tackle when Tevin Jenkins and Christian Darisar are on the board, no thank you. I don't understand that part. Yeah, it was really just a reach. I agree. Uh, you know, I ended up grading him as a guard, someone that I was a little bit higher on than you going into the, you know, over the summer, going into the season. And the 2020 tape and the senior bowl tape was just a lot more sloppy than I anticipated with another, you know, with a, a hopeful another step forward in his in his development. You just didn't get that with him. So I'm with you. I think he, he you know, as far as athleticism goes, he tested well, but I don't see that same athleticism when he's on the field, when the pads are on. You know, Quincy Roche ran around him all week in this uh, senior bowl practice. That's Six someone round that I, pick, Quincy yeah, Roche. <laughs> not a good athlete, Quincy Roche. So, uh, you know, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I think it was... I just, I just don't understand it. That kind of segues to mine. I, I, I don't know if Joe wants to lead into it, but damn. Um, but, but I, I, mine's also an offensive tackle that I feel like more so than the reach. I mean, it definitely was a reach in my opinion. It's more of what could have been. Uh, you know, some guys selected afterwards, and and for me, that's Jackson Carmen out of Clemson, uh, going to the Cincinnati Bengals. And in the in the beginning middle of the second round, so Jackson Carmen to me is someone that you know in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase going in the first round is going to have to play probably right away, whether that's at tackle or guard. Uh, some people project him better at guard. I just I don't think he's that good of a football player to be selected over guys like Samuel Cosme. Like Samuel Cosme was still on the board, someone that I feel like would be the perfect developmental. Uh, guy going going to to Cincinnati and kind of being the left tackle of the future there. Even Dylan Radens, I like a lot. I know I'm higher on him than you, Ryan. But Dylan Radens is someone who, if you don't know whether you're going to play him at left tackle or play him inside, Dylan Radens can do both. I think he's a versatile piece that can play anywhere solid. Um, so he's just someone like you said with with Alex Leatherwood. There's so many better options for that position on the board. So I just don't get it. It, it never fails. I, I I I had a feeling that that Alex would. Hop over me to do it. Do, do sorry, the segue. There's always a, every once in a while, Alex. Always gotta. No, I'm just playing. All right, so we've we've hit through all of our our reaches. Now let's talk some biggest fallers. Some guys that ended up sliding way further than expected. And and some of the names that we didn't include in here. Um, thanks for throwing in that whatever i felt like what go just say it out loud alex what do you what do you got it what no do you, i was just saying I, I felt like we were going a little long i was trying to speed it up we're fine on time my friend we're almost at 20 <laughs> minutes we'll be good okay. i got us alex i got it i trust you i trust you you're backseat driving all your he wants to do all your jobs he's today, he's backseat driving over here you want to edit the <laughs> show too <laughs> i'm just playing alex so we're talking fallers guys that ended up sliding way further than expected and Ryan Khalil Herbert ends up in a, a decent spot. He's going to be a, a Chicago Bear. He'll probably get some pretty good touches um, coming out of the backfield as a receiver. But you were shocked by how far he ended up sliding. And and there were some weird running back picks that went ahead of him. So what are your thoughts on Herbert? 
It's really weird because Herbert was a guy that only was the main ball carrier in college one year, so he didn't have a lot of tread on the tires. He went to the senior bowl, did really well. He tested exceptionally well, ran in the 4.4s four at 200 and whatever pounds he weighed in at. He was like between 205 and 212 during his career. So he has very, you know, very solid size and good athletic profile and had a fantastic year this past year at Virginia Tech. So I was excited about him. I had a third round grade on him. I liked him a bunch. I really do like Khalil Herbert. I have top five running back in this class, in my opinion. I really do like Khalil Herbert a bunch. So then I see Trey Sermon come off the board in the third round. I'm like, all right, okay. And then I see a backup running back for Iowa State, Kenny and, and Wang Wu or something, come off the board, who I know ran like 4-2 something or whatever but had 700 career rushing yards. I'm like, all right. And then I see other guys like Gary Brightwell from Arizona come off the board. And I'm just looking, I'm just like, what did Khalil Herbert do to everyone? Because I don't I don't have any, any red flags with him from a character perspective. I don't have red flags from him from what I've heard from a medical perspective. He had great tape. He did really well at the Senior Bowl. He tested well. He put, had a very productive season. I don't understand why this fall happened, but like you said, Chicago Bears to you know add him to the backfield that already had David Montgomery who ended the year really well. They now have a, a pretty solid backfield. It looks like I just don't understand why a bunch of these running backs were valued higher than a guy like a little Herbert. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you talked about it. You talked about no red flags, but on top of that, I think he's just a good football player. And, and obviously, your your third round grade grade is a testament to that. I had a fourth on him. Um, so not quite as high as you were, as as we knew throughout the entire process. But I saw it, the vision, the pass protection, the ability to work out of the backfield as a pass catcher. I think he's going to be an excellent, you know, 1B in a backfield. Like that was what I kind of viewed him as because, you know, we talked throughout the entire process. There's only probably three or four guys that had the potential to be workhorse running backs. Uh, really three guys that had the potential to be workhorse every down bell cow running backs. And then after that, you have guys like Michael Carter who went in the fourth round. And then for me, it was Khalil Herbert was in that tier with Michael Carter, someone that I thought would come in and be a nice complimentary piece to, to, you know, a good offense. And I, I, I like the landing spot, but to get him in the sixth round, like some of the names you said, I like Elijah Mitchell, but to draft Elijah Mitchell over him was a little question mark for me. You know, Larry Roundtree, there's, you know, these names, Chris Evans, he had the red flags, but that you didn't have with Khalil Herbert. So it's just, I didn't understand that fall either. And I think he landed in a good spot, you know, sitting behind David Montgomery, I think is going to be a good spot for him uh, in that new Justin Fields led offense or what will be a Justin Fields led offense eventually. Um, but yeah, the sixth round for someone with no red flags and good tape and does all the little things that coaches in, you know, front office personnel seem to really value, you know, the vision being able to read, um, you know, at the, at the line of scrimmage and then the pass protection thing. I think he's one of the best pass protectors in this year's class. So I just, I really didn't understand it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately the, Herbert, the Brightwell pick, I think is the, is the really strange one that, that Gary Brightwell <laughs> got drafted. You're a giant, great Gary. Brightwell. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Good one. Alex, you ended up going with Hamza Nasiruddin, which I completely agree. This is somebody who for a while was considered to be mentioned on day two, maybe early day three. And he ends up going round six to the New York jets. It's almost as if, Florida State gave the worst possible reviews to any of their guys coming out that they said that they all had character concerns or something like that 
because Marvin Wilson goes undrafted, Hamza Nasiruddin. Like, well, I don't even think any of these guys got drafted early. I, what did Hamza Nasiruddin do to, to end up in the sixth round on the Jets? Yeah, I don't understand this one quite so bit either. You know, there's some guys that slid, obviously. The Jeremiah Wusukoromo was the Tevin Jenkins. And, you know, there, there's been rumblings of why they fell. And, and Aziz Ojolari is another one that, you know, everyone viewed as first-round prospects uh, that definitely fell. Hamza Nasiruddin definitely wasn't viewed as a first-round prospect, but I I didn't see any reason why he shouldn't go in like the third, maybe early fourth round for someone of his prototype, someone that could play in the box, can play, you know, uh, as a safety, as a strong safety in the slot, even someone that I thought was a versatile piece. I thought he had a pretty good senior bowl week uh, for for the limited action that he he was able to have there. And I just don't understand this one. I don't un- I don't think there's any red flags medically or, or character wise. And six, those six, three, 215 kind of hybrid linebacker safeties, I feel like is. Um, you know, one of those positions in, in the NFL today that's being valued higher. But we saw a lot of those molds slip. And I think no one slipped more than Hamza Nasiruddin further than than what was expected. So Hamza Nasiruddin is someone for me that I think can play a multitude of roles for a creative defensive mind. And I think going to the Jets uh, there with Robert Sala, someone that is a very, very good defensive mind, I think is going to get the most out of them. Uh, in a defense that you know is needs to add talent, so I think he's going to make this roster. I think he's plenty talented enough. So as long as uh, everything goes to plan for him, I just I really don't understand. You know, someone with again no red flags to, that I was aware of, um, and then pair that with what I think is good athleticism at a good you know NFL size for a versatile playmaker on the defensive side of the football. I think I think Robert Sala and the Jets are going to get a good football player out of this one. Cyril Dean's like the prototypical tight end eraser. Like that's, yes. I mean, he has great man skills for as long as he is. I, I think he had like 34 inch arms, which is absolutely bonkers for a safety prospect. I, I think the whole thing with him is just the, the injury that he came off of. Um, it must've been something with medical rechecks. Cause you don't hear anything about his character. And when he was on the field, he had some very solid films. So it must just be medical related. But even so, even if it is medical related, I would have expected, like Alex said, maybe in the maybe into the fourth, like sixth round is pretty absurd to get a player like that. Jacoby Stevens ends up being your next guy, Ryan. And I don't know if as many people agree with you on this sentiment, just going off of what NFL.com has. They had him as a sixth round grade. He ends up going sixth round to the Eagles. How come, though, you know, based on that sense, how come you were surprised that he ended up being a sixth round pick? Well, we talked about Hobson and being a versatile move piece, right? Like for me, that's Jacoby Stevens. I don't think that LSU used him correctly all the time because he was playing at like 225, 230 pounds, and they were playing him at like single high free safety, and that's not what he is. But he was incredibly productive the last two years, two-year starter, played on the national championship team in the SEC on LSU, with good character, very well-spoken. And he was a guy that, I mean, on a week-to-week basis, he might be playing Sam Backer. He might be playing too high. He might be playing single high. He might be just playing in the box. might be playing curl to flat. Like, they asked him to do so much for LSU, and I thought he had good tape. I I thought there were times where he was asked to do things that he probably shouldn't be doing. But even then, I mean, I think it was his junior year against Kentucky, maybe. Like, he had a really rangy play playing single high safety. So, like... He's even shown spurts of that, and then he goes, senior ball has a good week, and then he tests, like, outstanding. Like, 4-6 in the 40, which was, like, fine, whatever. It wasn't great, but, like, 40-plus inch vert, 11-plus broad, 
The short shuttle stuff was fantastic. And I think that he's a guy that's probably going to play on the second level as a linebacker. And I guess that maybe is why some people are hesitant because, like, I guess they're still, you still have to project, right? Because, like, he didn't, that wasn't his full time role, obviously, at LSU, but a multi year starter who had solid film, who tested exceptionally, who was a captain of a national championship team and just a good spokesperson and a really well spoken young man. Six rounds? I I mean, I expected third to fourth on this kid. I really did because I just didn't understand. Like, I think that there's – I don't see that many holes to poke in him, honestly. Like, for me, it's like he's not the greatest athlete, but, like, also what he was doing comparative to what he's going to do in the NFL is not the same, you know? So it's, it's like apples to oranges a little bit as far as, like, athletically he shouldn't play single high, but in the NFL he's not going to play single high. So you need to project him to where he's going to fit best – and I don't understand, like, the good character and everything that I keep, you know, harping on on this kid. Like, six rounds? Six I, I just don't understand how he fell that far because I think that character, athleticism, uh, versatility, like, I feel like he just kind of checks a lot of boxes, and I just didn't understand that fall for me. Yeah, I mean, I had him in the fourth, so I'm, I'm with you. I think he definitely was, you know, a faller. And like you said, someone that I've listened to interviews from, you know, you and David – uh, had had him on, and I think that was one of my favorite interviews of the the draft cycle. As far as someone that I got energized about, um, you know, like you said, very well spoken. Someone that was really really excited about you know his, his, the transition and everything that all the work that was going to have to be put in to to get to where he wants to be. I think he was really really adamant about his work, his work. So I was all in with Jacoby Stevens. I had a fourth on him. Like I said, the e- exceptional testing, the solid film. I don't think a crazy good film, but like you said, I think a lot of that is a testament to them playing him in spots and, and you know, deploying him in, in, in ways that he probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm with you on this one. I think, I think you, you, you have a lot of box checked as far as character, you know, uh, off the field, solid film, great testing, versatile piece on the defensive side of the football that can do, you know, kind of be a role player. And I think at the very least, at the very least, you're getting a good locker room presence that's going to be a core special teams. Or To me, I think that's worth more than a back of the six. Like, this is a compensatory six at that. Like, we're, we're saying sixth round. Like, this is almost a seventh rounder. Yeah. Right. And it's right. funny, like, like I mean, obviously different positions, but like the LA Rams drafted a pure special teams guy in Jacob Harris from UCF in the fourth round. And it's like the same thing. Like, like why, if you're talking about a pure special teamer, like I understand Harris is a really good, a damn good one, but like Jacoby Stevens is going to be a phenomenal special teams piece. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where like you just, it, it, you just can't quantify why the fall happened. It's just a very weird one. The last faller we have for Alex is Adi Ogundeji, the Notre Dame defensive lineman who, after the Senior Bowl, a lot of people were hyping up saying, like, oh, this guy's got some potential. He's got great length. Physically, he he, uh, he fits the bill, and he could possibly maybe sneak his way into top of day three. Um, heck, maybe end of day two, depending on how excited some of these teams are, are on him. He ends up being a fifth-round pick to your Atlanta Falcons. What is your thought process here for him being a faller? Because like I think that it was kind of a mixed bag of, okay, late day two, uh, mid day three. Yeah, no, I think you said it best. The senior bowls what did it for me. You, someone on tape who I think you see some of the rawness, you see the but you see the athleticism too. You see the length, like you said. Someone that's six four, six five, somewhere right in there, 240, 245 pounds. I mean, he has a great build to to continue to to work as an edge rush presence. 
And like you said, the senior bowl, he at times looked unblockable with his frame and his athleticism. Like you, like I said, just like on film, you saw a little bit of the rawness um, in him. So I didn't expect him to necessarily be a top 75 pick. But after a senior bowl that he put up, you know, the the numbers he did. And if, if memory serves, didn't he lead Notre Dame in sacks this year? The quietest, so, like, 7-8 sack season. In yeah. On a shortened season. 7-8 sacks on a shortened season, you know, I thought was very impressive for someone who was so raw. So to be as raw as he was and to lead Notre Dame, someone who, you know, a team who prolifically is is good at rushing the passer at the collegiate level, for him to lead them in sacks, uh, you know, with with the tools he has physically and the senior bowl, you know, you just saw improvement. Every every single time you saw him, he was better than the, the time before. So he's someone that just continued to grow on me throughout the cycle. And like you said, Joe, I think by the, the end of the senior bowl, people were looking at him as a fringe day two prospect, someone that if he wasn't going in round three, he was definitely going in round four. So he goes in the compensatory fifth, which, you know, almost a sixth rounder here to the Atlanta Falcons. And I just think that was an absolute steal for someone that, I think, you know, it's just it's just the sky is the limit with him as far as like his potential. I I just I just don't understand how he fell so far. So to wrap up oh, yeah, Adi Ogandiji, good football player. That was my analysis. <laughs> he was also a decent interview. We had him on the Locked On uh, Irish podcast back when we were back when we were doing that. So to wrap up, we're each gonna pitch our best overall fit. And when we're talking about this, this doesn't necessarily have to be a scheme fit. It could just be a situational fit. So my pick for this, and I, I know that I have my slight bias towards the FCS, so you can clown on me <laughs> if you want, just a slight one. I will fight you if you say anything bad about the FCS. Uh, not you. I'm not saying you guys. Vi- just in general, anyone vision. who's seen me on Twitter. It's Division Two football. Don't dude. don't don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Well, Division Two football just put out a top three pick. Uh, Trey Lance, though, being a San Francisco 49er. I thought situationally for his development was perfect. He doesn't have to play right away. That is the big, big check mark here. He's on a good football team that has a young, strong defense. They lost Robert Sala, their defensive coordinator, but they're going to be fine defensively based on the talent that they have. They're returning a lot of guys that were hurt last year. Offensively, they've got some fun, fun weapons for Trey Lance in a year or so. And really for him now, he can sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo, similar to what Patrick Mahomes had when he sat behind Alex Smith, and they're not going to be married enough to Jimmy Garoppolo to say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo if Trey Lance comes along and and Garoppolo is playing well." No, this is a perfect spot where they'll just say, "All right, we're gonna trade a marginal quarterback talent that if he plays above average, we'll get a really good return on on that investment." And if you look at what the Chiefs got when they traded Alex Smith away, I think that they could realistically get more than what what the Chiefs got when they traded him to Washington. So Trey Lance, he's going to end up being in a good spot. He's part of a a team that has a good coaching staff. I I think that Trey Lance is going to have a very, very good career because of where he landed, not somewhere like New England that he might have been thrown out there too early or some of these other teams that were possibly looking at getting a quarterback, like Chicago ends up being one of them. Um, the Broncos ended up being one of the teams that were thrown out there. I just don't think that uh, any of those other situations would have been good for him because he would have been potentially put out there maybe a little bit too soon. Joe, do you want a hot take? Oh, uh, great. What do you got? Trey Lance is going to start the first game. For this no, game. there's no, there's no way. Why do you think that? Because I just do. Just put it out okay. there. Okay. I, I think I, I, I Sean like... said the same damn thing on the FCS podcast, and I shut Sean him down. Sean sounds like a smart man. Yeah, no, he's not. 
<laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. What, Alex, what were you going to say? I was going to say I'm fully on board with the thought that Trey Lance is one of those few you know, young quarterbacks that I don't think necessarily is going to benefit from sitting behind someone for a long time. I think – I mean, I, I think I said this on that live stream that we we're on when he was selected. I think he's one of those players, and me and David went back and forth on rookie quarterback sitting and, and the value of that. And I think it varies. And I think Trey Lance to me is someone that's going to benefit more from trial and error. And it's going to be up and down like any rookie season goes. But I think he's someone that has the confidence, that has the physical tools, and and he understands the game of football to a degree to where I think by week one he's going to be caught up to speed on the scheme on what the offense is trying to do. And I think. For him, he's someone that's just going to benefit, like I said, most from trial and error. I, I think I think that's a great point too, and I, I would add just slightly to that is the fact of like usually guys that need the learning curve early on are maybe like mental processing the ability to kind of see the game is a little let a little more limited, right. so they have to sit back and kind of acclimate to the speed and everything. You know, their ability to go through reads and to work half field versus full field reads, all that type of stuff. For me, Trey Lance, you know, was kind of unfairly pigeonholed as this raw passer, right? Like he didn't do anything at the line of scrimmage and he didn't do this and that. I think that's false. I think what Trey Lance, the rawness, quote unquote, of Trey Lance is literally just he needs more live bullets. He needs to have, he needs to throw the football more. Like he just needs to play. He can get that in practice. I know that's not exactly, you're not going to agree with that, but you throw a guy out there that... The guy played one season as a as a redshirt freshman. I just I think that that might be a little bit too soon. I don't disagree that live bullets is what he needs, but he's better off getting those reps in a preseason game rather than an NFL game because this is a team that can compete right now. Joe, Joe, right? We talk about practice. Not, okay, not we're a not game. Di- not a game. <laughs> I'm skipping Ryan, Alex. Who's your practice. best fit? <laughs> All right, I'm actually gonna. Y'all are both gonna go with first rounders, and I was prepared to kind of bounce that off at the end. I thought it was going to last, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Elijah Moore is my pick. Went to the New York Jets in the second round. So why Elijah Moore fits, and I think it's landing spot that's that's so important here. The New York Jets, who's been their leading receiver over the last couple of years combined? Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder does not strike me as a very fantastic athlete in the slot for, for, for the Jets. Um, so Elijah Moore steps in in the second round, who will take over that slot role, I believe, very early on. And so you replace Jamison Crowder, someone, like I said, that that had led the team in receiving as an average athlete in the slot. He's going to take over as a b- way better athlete um, and just a way better player overall. I, I wasn't even a huge Elijah Moore fan. I think I had a late second on him, in fact. So he goes at the, the top of the second round, and I think you draft Zach Wilson. Say what you want about Zach Wilson in New York. I, w- I didn't love it. I mean, I think he's worth the top 10 pick, but I think there was other quarterbacks I would have invested in before him. But you ha- that's the, the nature of, of where you were at in the second round there. So you take Elijah Moore, who I think, Zach Wilson coming from BYU, RPO-heavy offense, someone that there was two plays the, the entire season. He was either running a quick-hitting RPO, quick slant over the middle of the field, or he was creating out of the pocket. And I think Elijah Moore will will benefit from someone that, that that's where they win more than a lot of the receivers are going to benefit from their quarterback situations going to the next level. So Elijah Moore is someone, like I said, he's able to get open quick for those RPO type stuff. I think that's someone that's going to get a lot of receptions, a lot of volume, um, you know, very early on from, from that RPO sense. I think that's going to, they're going to 
take that from BYU's offense because that's where he's comfortable talking about Zach Wilson and take it to the next level. So I think Elijah Moore is going to get a lot of volume there in that sense. And then Zach Wilson, he's just a natural out of structure, you know, work on the fly kind of quarterback. That's something that's so intriguing about him, you know, comparing him to Patrick Mahomes and some of these rare talent quarterbacks is his ability to create out of the pocket when things break down. I think Elijah Moore does a fantastic job as an intermediate to deep level threat when working, you know, to the sideline, when, when extending the play. And I think that's where he, he will also benefit. So I just think from a production standpoint, Elijah Moore is my sleeper to lead the NFL in receiving yards as far as rookies go and could be a dark horse rookie of the year candidate. I think he meshes well too. Um, You know, you talk about the ability in, the wide receiver room, like you have Corey Davis, who's a skyscraper. You got Denzel Mims, that's a skyscraper. They're going to play on the vertical third, and then you have a guy like Elijah Moore that, in the slot, instant separation, obviously short intermediate routes, quick in and out of breaks. Like he fits stylistically, he's different than those other two players, which I mm-hmm. think is why they me- might mesh well together. All right, Ryan, take us home. Who's your pick? Well, I had this like it's kind of like I just described there for for Elijah Moore with Alex's pick is the same way I feel about Jalen Waddle. Why he's such a good fit in Miami's last year. Miami's all of Miami's wide receivers were kind of the same guy: Preston Williams, Devonta Parker. They're going to win on the vertical third of the field. They're not going to create a touch a bunch of separation. And Tua struggled at points because it's tough for a rookie quarterback to trust in 50-50 situations. Like, he needs to see guys uncover. So they get a guy like Jalen Waddle, who is extremely fast, extremely explosive, can create instant separation, can win down the football field, to be a mesh to those bigger wide receivers. Add in Will Fuller, and now you got more speed on the you know interior of the football field. And then I think that they both can kind of work inside-outside as well at points too. So I think that it meshes well with what Miami has, and then you also like best fit. That's Tua's guy. Like he played, he played with Jalen Waddle. So I think that Jalen Waddle fits both from a comfortability standpoint with the guy like Tua Tagovailoa, and also he fits stylistically in a, this from a schematic perspective with guys like Devontae Parker and Preston Williams because he is a different football player and he's a more of a he's a dynamic football player that they didn't have last year. And now with Will Fuller also adding speed, I think that you have now potentially unlocked the deeper levels of the field for the Miami offense. Well, I think, you know, we t- you talk about Tua, and Tua, when we were evaluating him a year ago, a year plus ago, we talked about how he benefited from having playmakers around him, and that wasn't, that you know, that wasn't us saying that we weren't as high on him, but he did, I mean, as any quarterback would at the collegiate level. And to to have someone like Jalen Waddle, who I think after the catch is one of the more dynamic receivers, he's going to step into that room and be the most dynamic yak receiver on, on that roster. I think that's just what Tua needs. Tua is not someone that's going to stretch the field and you know wow you with a big arm, but he's someone that he's going to work good in timing routes and he's going to get the ball in playmakers' hands, keep take care of the football and let Jalen Waddle do the work. So I think. Like you said, schematically, is it's a great fit, and then of course Tua is comfortable with them. You know, playing multiple years with Jalen Waddle and and having the production that they were able to have, you know, together as a duo um, in Tuscaloosa. There, I think it's going to translate well. So I think Jalen Waddle, like you said, is a great great fit for Miami. Right, and, and Tua is definitely somebody who really just needed a little bit of extra help. That was Absolutely. coming into his second year. Everybody wants to knock him. Any help that you can give him, a former teammate. An elite athlete, he's only going to do well with him. 
Only right. positive things are going to come out of that, that Jalen Waddle pick. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. And also follow us on social media at Believe Podcast, at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and at Alex Gilstrap. We'll talk to you soon, folks. Stay tuned for our first 2022 interview. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.